0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: When someone goes to work at a new job, they probably have an expectation that they will be happy in the workplace, but it doesn't always occur. And in this high-paced society, we end up feeling more and more pressure than ever before. So. How do you find that happiness at work, whether that be at a Fortune 500 company or, say, if you're just a laborer working on a farm? Dr. Annie McKee runs the executive doctoral program for chief learning officers here at the University of Pennsylvania at the Graduate School of Education. She tackles this idea of happiness in the workplace in her new book, How to Be Happy at Work. It's great to have her in the studio with us today. Nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you, too. Thank you very much.
1: And nice to know that you're basically a neighbor of mine, too. That's right. Philadelphia suburbs. Uh, Best guess, what do you think is it percentage-wise that people aren't happy at work?
0: That's an interesting question. I don't think we even have to guess. Gallup has been studying people for years and upwards of two thirds of us are either neutral, which means we don't care, or we're actively disengaged. And disengagement and happiness go hand in hand. So an awful lot of people are not happy at work.
1: So it ends up having a, a, a significant economic impact on the company, on the people themselves, on the other workers that are probably in the office as well.
0: Unhappy people don't perform as well as they could. Right. When we're a negative, cynical, pessimistic, we simply don't give our all. And our brains don't work all that well just when we need people's brains to be working beautifully.
1: But is this is this a problem that has been fairly routine in, in our society or has it been ramped up even more in the last two decades or so, and, and you know, as much as digital is phenomenal for us and it makes our lives so much better on, on many cases, a lot of people say there are times where we are so much under pressure because of, what our businesses are and digital and and, and everything that there's so many touch points out there right now.
0: Yeah. The world is changing at a rapid pace, obviously. And as much as we love our always connected world, it can mean that we work all the time. We're always one minute away from that next email. That's going to bring tragedy and crisis to our working lives. And some of us never turn it off and that's not good for us.
1: So the idea to put the, put a book together and look at this came from where?
0: You know, I've worked in organizations all over the world for decades now, and I looked at leadership practices and emotional intelligence and culture and all those things that impact the bottom line and people's individual effectiveness. Right. And I decided to take another look and and see what people were trying to tell us. And all these studies that we did around the world, and they were practical studies. They weren't academic studies per se. Mm -hmm. People were telling us, I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want to love my job. And I'm not as happy or as fulfilled as I could be. And here's what I need. And then they went on to tell us what they need.
1: So in in doing the work that you have with members of the C-suite, are they aware of the problem uh, for the employees that are below them? But are they also aware that they may, I would think, be susceptible to this as well?
0: It doesn't matter where you sit in the organization, you are susceptible to disengagement and unhappiness, even at the very top. We think if you're making all that money and you've got all that power and that great job, it's going to be perfect. It's not always. The best leaders in our organizations at the very top and all the way down to the shop floor understand that people matter, feelings matter, and it's job number one Mm -hmm. to create a climate where people feel good about what they're doing, where they're happy, where they're engaged, and where they're ready to share their talents
1: so what are the key ingredients to to trying to actually find that happiness
0: from my work i've discovered three things number one people feel they need people feel they need to have impact on something that's important to them whether Uh it's people or a cause or the bottom line and they need to feel that their work is purposeful and it's tied to values that they care about so that's number one Number two, we need to feel optimistic that our work is tied to a personal vision of the future. And here's the catch. The organization's vision isn't enough. As good as it may be, we have to know that what we're doing ties to a personal vision of our future, so that's number two. Number three, we need friends at work. You know, we've learned over the course of our lives you shouldn't be friends with people at work, that it's dangerous somehow, that it'll cloud your judgment. I don't agree. I think we need to feel that we're with our tribe in the workplace, that we yeah. belong, that we're with people we respect and who respect us in return. We need warmth, we need caring, and we need to feel supported.
1: But I would think uh, most people, when they, are, when they are looking for that job, whether they be coming out of college or they're looking to shift careers m- midlife, they are looking for that area that would make them happy, the, the sector, whatever it might be. I'm guessing there are probably some people that are just taking certain jobs because they need to get a job. But, I mean, when you have that expectation of being in the right sector to begin with – you you hope that you have the, the, the happiness to go along with it right out of the gate.
0: We do hope. We do hope that we get into the right organization and there's a good fit between our values and the organization's values and right. what it's doing and what we do. We try. We really try hard. But we get in there and the pressures of everyday life and the crises and – And the stress, frankly, uh, can really tamp down our enthusiasm and our happiness. So that's number one. Number two, uh, a lot of us are susceptible to what I call happiness traps. We we end up doing what we think we should do. We take that job with that fancy consulting firm or that wonderful organization, not because we love it and not because it's a fit, but because we think we should. And frankly, some of us have uh, ambition that goes into overdrive. Ambition's a great thing until it's not.
1: Is that part of the reason why we see more and more stories now of people that may have been with a company for 20 years, 25 years, and then all of a sudden, they make that pivot, and, and, and it may not even be staying in the same sector. It may be going to work for a nonprofit, and, and you see these stories popping up, and especially people in the C-suite that, that are making this shift now.
0: You do see that. You see senior leaders all of a sudden saying, enough is enough. I'm doing something different, right. but I, I really want to be clear. Uh, you don't always have to run away. In fact, you want to run toward something. Okay. If you feel you're not happy in the workplace, quitting your job is probably not the first answer, and some of us can't. Right. What we need to do is figure out what we need, what we want, how to have impact, what will make us feel hopeful about our future, what kind of people we want to work with and for, and then go find that either in our organization or elsewhere.
1: So you have an expectation that people, if they if they find themselves in a spot where they may not be as happy as they would like to, they can make the change from within and not have to escape to another opportunity
0: Happiness starts inside of each of us. It's tempting to blame that toxic boss or that horrible organizational culture, and those right. things may be true. Though they may be in place. But if you want to be happy at work, you first have to look inside and ask yourself, what is it that you want? What will make you feel fulfilled?
2: Yeah.
1: Which
0: happiness traps have you fallen prey to? And get yourself out
1: you mentioned well you mentioned the happiness traps go through them and and, and tell us what they are
0: yeah well uh, the primary ones are i mentioned already should the should trap what i call yeah. the should trap we do what we think we should do we show up at work acting like someone we're not that is soul destroying right. and it's fairly common the ambition trap as i said ambition is great until it's not when our ambition drives us from goal to goal and we don't even stop to celebrate the accomplishment of those goals, something's wrong. That's number 2. Some of us feel helpless and we feel stuck. The helplessness trap may be the most serious of all. It's the one that, you know, it's really hard to get out of because we don't feel we have any power. And my message to our listeners is we have a lot more power and control over not only our attitude, but what we do and how we approach our work on a daily basis and long term than maybe we think we do.
1: We're joined in studio by Dr. Annie McKee. Uh, The book that she has uh, written is called How to Be Happy at Work. You're more than welcome to join in with your comments, maybe a personal experience that you have gone through in your workplace. 844 Wharton, 844 844-942-7866 is the number. Or if you'd like, if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, Interesting article in the Philadelphia Papers today about this book in which you talk about your personal experience where this is concerned. You're teaching here at the University of Pennsylvania now, but earlier in your life, you found yourself probably kind of fitting into these patterns as well.
0: I did. Early in my life, I, I wasn't teaching in a wonderful institution like Penn. I didn't even have what you would call a professional career. I had uh, jobs like waiting tables and cleaning houses and taking care of elderly people. I was making ends meet. Yeah. And it wasn't easy. I will tell you that. It was not easy. Um, and I think I had two choices. I could either say to myself, this is miserable and I hate it, or I could look for something that was fulfilling in what I did. And I tried to do that. It wasn't always easy. I yeah. tried to do that. And I did find aspects of my job, whether it was cleaning houses and feeling like I was doing a good job or finding a mentor in some of these uh, workplaces that really made it worthwhile to me.
1: Do you have to be 100 percent happy all the time to be able to? I mean, because I don't know if anybody can be 100 percent happy. And I say that because I think if you can find the areas of happiness, it can make your job, your life, so many things so much easier to to go through.
0: Yeah, happiness isn't just about feeling good every moment of the day, and yeah. it's not just about pleasure. That's hedonism, then, and, yeah. and we're not we're not seeking that. Nobody's going to feel great every moment of the day. And frankly, a little bit of stress is a good thing. It pushes us to be innovative and to uh, do things differently and to push harder. So it's not about just feeling good. Mm -hmm. But we do need a foundation of purpose, hope, and friendships. We do need to know that what we do matters at work, that we're doing something that is tied to our future, and that the people that we work with are great. We do need that.
1: But you mentioned with the accomplishments uh, and taking the time to, I guess, the version of smell the roses for a second there are times where companies have no problems with that, but there are other companies that's like, okay, you've completed this, on to the next project. And they don't give you the opportunity to just slow down, even for an hour, to be able to enjoy it.
0: Yeah, most of our organizations are really hard-driving, especially publicly-traded organizations. Right, uh, and, and actually, I'm not even sure they're that different than other, other institutions these days. The pressure is on everywhere. Yeah. And the reality is we do move from project to project, goal to goal. That is the reality. But what do we do? What choices do we make in the middle of that culture? Um, We don't have to be victims of our organizational culture, and we don't have to be victims of that bad boss you might have, or maybe you've had in the past. We can make choices about what we do with our time, our energy, and our emotional stance.
1: You mentioned, going back to something you said a little bit earlier about the friends component in the workplace, and how you think it's an important piece to being happy in the workplace does it matter where those friends come with, from within the structure of the company i mean i mean a lot of people say well you got to be careful if you want to try and be friends with the you know the c suite or or your boss or you know whoever it might be does it really matter
0: you know it doesn't matter where your friends are but it does matter whether or not you have your eyes open and you recognize what what people are thinking about how you're behaving and who you're friends with. You've got to have awareness. You've got to be aware of your organization's culture and the rules of the road. And, you know, if you're violating some of those rules, for example, going up the hierarchy and and building friendships with people who are a couple levels above you or maybe in another division, you need to understand what the implications of that are. And you need to be maybe a little bit careful.
1: So how does the middle manager deal with this? Because the middle manager seemingly is in the, I mean, they're probably getting it from both sides.
0: Middle managers get it from all sides. They're pulled in every direction, and it is probably the hardest job in any organization, for sure. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, They, more than anybody, need to hear this message. Life is too short to be unhappy at work. Middle managers have a tremendous impact on the people who work for them, and recognizing that... You, more than anybody, are the creator and the curator of the culture in the organization is an important place to start.
1: I get the sense sometimes that that people, maybe managers, forget about the outside life that people have. Like, you know, I'm a dad, three kids, spend a lot of time on the soccer fields, moving them around and stuff like that. And there are times where I am just drained from that, that, that at times it's hard to motivate you know, when you're, when you're talking about work stuff. And, and I think bo- bosses and stuff forget that, that, that there's an outside component to people's lives and that happiness as well.
0: Right. Listen, we're here at the Wharton School and uh, we've been studying management now for over 100 years. And some of the early approaches to managing our organizations are really destructive. And, and one of the aspects of that early research has been the attitude that people don't matter and that private lives ought to be left at the door of the office. Yeah. It's impossible yeah. to leave our private lives at the door of the office, and that doesn't mean that we talk about it all the time, but we bring yeah. our experiences with us and we bring our feelings with us, and managers need to recognize that.
1: You, you have that every day, and that kind of goes back to that connectivity that we have you know, today, now so more than ever, is the fact that, you know, I'm doing this show right now. I could be getting tweets from my ex-wife about the kids, you know, from friends. Hey, do you want to have dinner later this week? I mean, it's just, and that's why I think it makes it harder and harder to try and find, at times, that happiness in work.
0: It's true. It's also hard to find what's commonly called work-life balance. And by the way, I don't like that phrase. I think it's a myth. Okay. I don't think there is any magic formula that says if we get it, you know, just right, we're going to be happy at work and happy at home. Right. It's more about understanding that the lines are blurred between work and home now, and we need to learn how to manage our choices and our attention.
1: Right. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to join in with your comments. Dr. Annie McKee is our guest. The book is How to Be Happy at Work. You can share your experiences, maybe ask a question of Dr. McKee, Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. 7866 Caroline is out in the Bay Area with a question. Caroline, go ahead.
2: Hi, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, My question um, is around working remotely. I'm in a situation where I'm pretty much 100% working remotely, on the phone all all day, pretty much, Um, working with an East Coast company. And I'm feeling um, over time more and more isolated because you don't have that face-to-face, one-on-one connection with people. And I know there's a lot of conversations that are going on That are just, um, you know, for people that are uh, near corporate headquarters, that, you know, when they pass each other in the hallway, they get to have a conversation just casually. So you're missing out on conversations, and I just feel like there's not the camaraderie um, that there would be if you go into the office, which I used to do, obviously. And I'm just feeling more disconnected, if you will, um, from the company as a result. And I'm just wondering if you have seen that. And if that is becoming more of an issue as more workers uh, do work more remotely.
0: Caroline, you make such a good point, and you're not alone. You really truly are not alone. As more of us work remotely, and I do too, I understand the isolation and feeling kind of left out. And the reality is it takes a lot more effort to build relationships when we work remotely. We need to take time. I mean, chances are, I don't know about you, Caroline, but most people, when we're working remotely, we get on the phone, we do the work that needs to be done, we talk about the project, and we get off the phone. And that leaves us feeling kind of empty. We need to take that extra five minutes to have a chat, to have a laugh, uh, to feel like we are in relationship with somebody. And it takes effort, and it takes self-management, because the temptation is to just do the work. I mean, the gig economy, you talk about the gig economy, right? We're all sort of, uh, you know, working in a portfolio manner these days. We take on this bit of work and that bit of work and much of it is virtual. So Caroline, I think we need to figure this out because the bottom line is that we have not changed as human beings. We still need to feel like we belong. We need to feel that we're cared for and we need to be able to care for others in return. And if we're working far away, we've got to take extra time and make an extra effort, a concerted effort, to build those relationships in a different kind of way than if we're in person.
1: Great comments, Caroline. Thank you very much for your call. I'd be interested to get your opinion on the the move, which obviously we've seen in the last decade or so, of more people working from home or working remotely or – You're working for a company and maybe twice a week or or a couple times a month you're working from home and how that has impacted this whole process.
0: Yeah. I'm a big proponent of working from home or working remotely. I I think it's actually um, really helpful to individuals and it's helpful to companies. Number one, people who are able to work at home feel trusted. And when you feel trusted, you are more committed to your organization. Um, number two, a lot of people report being able to get more done away from the office. Now, that, right. they're talking about actual work, project work, writing, that sort of thing, because you don't have the interruptions. The downside, of course, is that you have to find a way to keep the relationships fresh and alive, right. because that's as important as getting that project done.
1: But if, it, if you're only, uh, you know, working from home a couple of times a month, it, it's almost like a reset. For, for people you know sure you're working at home and you can get focus but again you're giving yourself a little bit of a dip, different atmosphere which can be can be helpful for people at times
0: it's fantastic I'm a, a huge proponent of it and i I am really welcoming the movement toward more people working remotely more people working from home and we just need to be careful that we don't feel isolated the way the way Caroline did.
1: Is, is it a concern, though, that, I mean, we saw some companies in the last few years decide to have these types of policies in place, but then we saw a couple of companies say, okay, no, we don't like that. We, you know, we're taking that back off the table. That obviously, uh, you know, they're doing that for a reason, but obviously it, it has a negative impact on the employees uh, in terms of, of how they work and the relationship they have with the company and the, and the hierarchy.
0: Yeah, you read the same news I do. There's yeah. one notable example where, you know, everybody who was working remotely was was basically forced to come into the office. Yeah. And the backlash from that was huge. Yeah. Right. And I'm not sure that it accomplished the goals that that particular CEO wanted to accomplish. So I I'd have to get into the reasons. Why was that decision made? I don't know. I really, truly don't know. And the yeah. on the on the surface it's let's get everybody in so we can all be sure we're working together. Great. Um, did it work? Is the question I would ask.
1: It's seemingly, though, companies are more aware of the employees and their happiness than they were a decade or two decades ago, which is a good thing in the end. I guess the question is, are are we going to continue down that path, do you think?
0: Companies are more aware, so are enlightened CEOs and enlightened leaders, and I think we will continue down the path for the following reason. It's not just a nice-to-have, and it's not just about feeling good. We've got solid research coming out of positive psychology, neuroscience, and management Mm -hmm. that tells us that feelings matter when we feel good we're smarter, to put it in in simple terms. sure. And we need smart employees now. We need people who are committed. We need people who are engaged. And the research is pretty clear. Uh, Happiness before success. And if we want our employees to be at their best, we need to care about their emotional well-being as well as their physical well-being.
1: Great having you here. Thank you very much for coming in.
0: Thank you so much. Thank
1: you, Dr. Annie McKee. The book is How to Be Happy at Work. Uh, It is available in bookstores. Just came out uh, a few days ago. Uh, It's available in bookstores and online for you to pick up uh, at your leisure.
2: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton,
0: please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.